Welcome back to Basecamp. Now, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the gifts that have been given to us as Christians as we're continuing our discussion in systematic theology and the, the work of God the Spirit in our midst, right? And how these gifts are, are not to be for our own individualistic enjoyment and pleasure, not, not meaning there, there's no enjoyment or pleasure, but, but, but rather the, the intention they've been entrusted to us by God for the joy of those around us, that we're building up those within our local church context. That's, that's why we have these, these gifts. And, and this is one of my most favorite topics to talk about because of how great God is in giving us these differing and complementary gifts within a local church so that we're better for the many different ways that God has brought men and women together to form our church. Right? Sometimes we think we may not have certain gifts, and so God maybe has our assignment to be that we just sit on the bench and allow the other people to get onto the field and play. But 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 rather, in, in God's economy, the way he's given all of us gifts, and that he wants all of us out on the field using our gifts, using what we bring to the table, what he's given us for the joy, the building up of the local body. And if we're not doing what God has called us to do, then they are suffering. So that's why this is one of my most, my most favorite topics to talk about because of how great God is in giving all of us these differing and complementary gifts. Right? We, we read the Old Testament and it just seems like maybe there are certain prophets or leaders and they're the extra special holy people. But what we see in, in the New Covenant is that all of us are, are invited out into uh, on, onto the field. All of us have God the Spirit. We all have these different ways that, that God has specifically gifted us, right? And, and it's also through these gifts where we see that churches, therefore, are not built by a few people using their specific gifts for building up the church, but rather all of us in a church use our gifts for the betterment, the encouragement, the strengthening, and building up of those around us as we are committed to shepherding, serving, loving, and actively partnering with one another inside of a local church. Not, not meaning we, we can't use the gifts God's given us to encourage Christians outside of our churches, but primarily our first function, our first aim is, is to serve and love those within our church body with the gifts that we have. We, we are, we've been placed into a local body to use and to be our part within the body to build up the body. Because without our presence, without our presence, then our unique position and gifting is missing from the local church. And the local church is deficient when we're not there. It's like having having a, a Thanksgiving meal and, and, and that person's not there. And you're, ah, man, this is great, but, ah, but if they were here, it'd be, it'd be better. That's the same way within the life of a local church. So let, let's let's dive in as we begin this discussion on gifts of the Holy Spirit. All right, now as we're getting started, let me just begin by saying there's a lot of discussion and some confusion surrounding the topic of spiritual gifts. If you've grown up in the church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. As chances are that some of you have had very diverse experiences regarding these gifts and using them in the life of the church. In fact, talking about the gifts that God the Spirit has given us, weirdly enough, can even be divisive in a church, which is strange because that's the opposite of what God intends. It shouldn't be this way, 
let me show you why. And that's kind of the, the aim of this episode. And to begin seeing this, let's begin with a definition of what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift is an ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and is used in any ministry of the church. Now, that's a, that's a pretty broad definition. I'm borrowing it from Wayne Grudem, but I like it because it includes gifts related to natural abilities, like teaching or showing mercy or administration, but also gifts that seem to be more miraculous and, and less related to natural abilities, right? Like healing or distinguishing between spirits, right? And the reason for this broader definition is that when we examine the list of spiritual gifts in the Bible given in various places like Romans 12, 6 and 8, or 1 Corinthians 7, 7, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, uh, in Ephesians 4, 11, Paul includes both kinds of gifts. Yet not every natural ability that people have is included in these lists because Paul is clear that all spiritual gifts uh, are, are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, and that they're given for the common good. We see that in 12, 7, and they're all to be used for the edification or the building up of the church, 14, 26. So that's why we have gifts. That's why we've been given these gifts, is to build up for the common good one another as the church. Now, we won't be doing an exhaustive look at every single gift mentioned in the Bible, um, but I did want us uh, to, uh, because we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, to open up there to see what Paul has to say in chapter 4 about these gifts. Now, so far, as we've seen in this magnificent letter, the Apostle Paul sets out to show the reader the, the scope of God's eternal plan that has been made manifest through Jesus. Right? As all things are united in him, things in heaven, things on earth, so that we are united to God and to one another through Jesus. To accomplish this, We've seen that Paul begins chapter 1 laying out the wonders of the gospel of grace and God's wonderful work of salvation, as we have seen that it is in Christ that we receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we've just begun to see uh, this past Sunday, we, we see the, the awesome power of this good news, the gospel of our salvation that's put on display in chapter 2, so that not only does it raise the spiritually dead to life, reconciling God to man, but it is through the gospel that, as we will see this upcoming Sunday, God destroys a wall of hostility between the Jew and the Gentile, chapter 2, verse 14. Thus, in Jesus, there's this new community. We are united not by race or ethnicity or gender. Rather, we are united by Christ. And then, as we'll see, Ephesians chapter 3 makes it really clear that it's through the church. Get that. Through the church, assemblies, local assemblies that, that God puts on display his manifold wisdom, his breathtaking glory, right? Through, through the, the, the capital C church, the church, all Christians in all times and all places, but is made manifest specifically through local churches. That's where it's on display for those around us to see his glory put on display in practical ways as we flesh it out in everyday context. And what we see here is this wonderful picture of what the local church is to be in our role, even in Winnipeg and surrounding areas, as we have the great joy of putting on display God's manifold wisdom, the wisdom of God in Christ. But that's easier said than done, right? I mean, to maintain a unified, loving community of sinners 
<laughs> then Paul recognizes the challenge. Thus, as we'll see in chapter 4, he exhorts the church to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We see that in chapter 4, verse 3. And you might wonder, well, then how do we do that? He goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And here, Paul, he's reaching back to the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm 68, 18 to make a point that the outpouring of spiritual gifts represents the downfall of all of Christ's enemies, the victory of the church. <laughs> That's what our gifts are. Isn't that wild? And then from there, Paul notes a few of the spiritual gifts, starting in verse 11. So let's read uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. We read, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Now, in thinking through uh, the, the spiritual gifts, um, this is not the only t time we, we see spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Other lists, uh, right, they show up in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4. But, but even in looking at all of these lists, we learn a number of things about spiritual gifts. So I'm, I'm going to give you uh, one, two, three, four. I'm going to give you five of them. I'm going to give you five things we learn uh, about spiritual gifts from all of these lists. First, there doesn't seem to be a single comprehensive list of spiritual gifts in any one New Testament passage. Right? Read those passages. Look at them. The point is that you shouldn't feel like you've missed your calling if you can't find your gift on, in a particular list. It, it, also, you can have more than one gift, uh, but Jesus is the only one who had all the gifts. Uh, second, there seems to be a priority on word-related gifts. Right? In each of the lists, the writer begins with and focuses on scripture-based gifts, which is just interesting. Third, the gifts are gifts given by God. I know that kind of seems redundant, but, but it's an important thing to, to mention. Uh, he is the one who gives as he pleases. Right. So 1 Corinthians 12, 11, Paul tells us that the Spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills. And we don't have all of the gifts. We're never we're not promised that we're all going to have every single one of the gifts. We, we read, for example, do all prophesy? Do all speak in tongues? Do all? And it's, well, no, we, they don't. So, so we, don't, it's not, we don't all have the exact same gifts. That's also important. Now, so thinking about 1 Corinthians 12, 11, Paul says, right, again, that the spirit portions to each one individually as he wills. We also see the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12, 18 and Ephesians 4, 11, which is helpful in fighting any sense of gift envy, right? Gifts are given by a good God who knows what he's doing. 
He makes no mistakes in his assigning. So our job is not to buck against his design. Rather, we're to be faithful. Besides, again, this is beautiful. It's in the diversity of the gifts given that the body works best. And on a small scale, we get to see this as we examine the people even in our small group. Right? So some people in your group might have awesome gifts that you simply don't have. And yet, having these people in your life helps us grow as disciples as they use their gifts. And that's the point. You have gifts they don't have. They have gifts you don't have. We need one another. If we all have the same gifts, then we're all just the same hand or eye or nose or big toe in the body. Right? Like, that would be weird if we were all just one big toe together. That would be very strange. We need different parts of the body working Together, that's the main emphasis. In fact, our receiving these wonderful gifts. So, uh, point number four, the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the church. Thus, these gifts are given to equip the saints for work of ministry until Christ returns, or until he calls us home. Right? We close our eyes in death and open them and see his wonderful face. Right? We've, we've already seen all, all this, by the way, in Ephesians 4.12. Christ gave gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the church. Or uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul writes, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And oftentimes, the way that gifts are discovered, I've found, is in stepping in and serving. Right? So, so like, if, if there's a, a need that we hear of in the church, we roll up our sleeves to help in order that others might be built up, and, and the Lord uses us. Maybe that's a way, actually, that God confirms some things in our lives. And, and so, so oftentimes, the way that gifts are discovered is stepping in and serving. We don't see a need in the life of our church and just say, well, my gift is teaching, so I can't help cleaning up. Or my gift is encouragement, so I'm not going to help out with kids' ministry. No, we, we should be looking for needs and ways to bless others. They might know God and be built up. I think about that with Charles, for example. Uh, Charles is a great story in this. Charles, I think this was in announcements a couple of weeks ago, um, I, which is funny that it was in announcements. But I think Charles said that initially um, when he wanted to serve, uh, he was just looking for ways to serve our church. And and I think it was me. Uh, I, I, I want to say it was Matt, though, but maybe it was me. Um, he said, hey, you should start a youth ministry. And he was like, I don't like youth. And yet he started serving the youth of our church. And as he did that, rolled up his sleeves and just said, I'm going to commit to this. And here we go. He was telling us the other day, he just loves youth ministry. He, he, he has this love of God placed in his heart for these kids in our church that, that, that by, by nature, if you were going to ask him a year and a half ago, hey, would you ever want to do youth ministry? He would have probably said, heck no. And yet now he's doing such a wonderful, wonderful job with our youth. He's just so good. And it's been really cool to watch God just allow him to flourish and other people are being built up as a result of him doing that in the life of our church. So you never know how God might use you, for example, in kids' ministry. Um, so that's just a little shameless plug for you to consider. Maybe this is the Lord. Uh, fifthly, uh, in all things... Love is the guiding principle in the exercise of spiritual gifts. And that's at the heart of Paul's argument in this whole discussion of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14. See, it seems that the Corinthian church had elevated the gift of tongues above others. 
And many were just clamoring to have the gift so they could be really spiritual and just noticed. Now, just as a side note, I, it, it's interesting and encouraging that, that tongues has seemingly always been the gift that churches struggle with. But, but our spiritual gifts, we, we know, aren't to make a name for ourselves. They're not to draw attention to us. The aim of spiritual gifts is to love others and make much of God, not to draw their attention and focus to us, but to Jesus. Like That's why between two chapters on spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, comes 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Is because they were not doing things lovingly. So chapter 13 is a rebuke to, to the church that they are not acting out of love, which is kind of funny that we always use it at weddings uh, to talk about love uh, because it's, uh, it's disciplinary, uh, and yet it's also written so beautifully that it could be read at a wedding. Um, and, and so the whole aim is that whatever we should do, right, however we're encouraging or giving or serving or leading or exhorting, preaching, all of these things are to be done in love and for the glory of Jesus. Now, now in this discussion uh, in spiritual gifts, uh, one of the questions that always gets raised is questions pertaining to healing and miracles and speaking in tongues. Now, perhaps a good place to begin that conversation is to note that there is a broad spectrum of responses. So on one end, you have those who argue that these gifts are normative for the church and should be a weekly part of our worship gatherings with things like worship and miracle nights where people's limbs are extended and we pray for demons to manifest themselves so that we can cast them out. If that latter part sounds strange, I've heard lots of stories like that from Nino about his church experience in Brazil. So, so that's, that's one side of the, of the spectrum. On the other side are those who argue that spiritual gifts uh, like those have absolutely ceased. They, they would claim there are no miracles, no healings, no gifts of the Spirit to speak in four languages like we see in Acts chapter 2. There's no dreams whereby people are pointed to the truths of Christ. Nothing at all. And these individuals would seek to disprove any claim of anything supernatural or miraculous happening today. So those are kind of the bookends. And finding people on either one of those ends is really hard. And so most of the people, <laughs> most Christians, fall somewhere in between those two positions. And you may even vacillate depending on your church experience and background, various things like that. You might not expect miracles and healing and spontaneous language speaking to be a normal part of the church's weekly gathering, for example, nor would you feel, though, completely compelled to disprove someone who said they had such a gift, but, but maybe you'd be like, oh, I don't know, but let's press in on and explore that a little bit, right? And if it, if it happened, maybe you just simply look to Paul's instruction in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14 to make sure that the church was edified and that the event was pertaining to the Spirit, not a Spirit, but is the Spirit. In, in, in all these discussions, all I'm meaning to say is that we don't need to all agree on every single jot and tittle of all of these things in order to be a local church together. We don't. 
And within our church, I bet there are a lot of different ideas and views on various matters. And I don't think it's a terrible thing. As long as we're striving to just point to God's word, live faithfully, to convince one another from scripture, and are seeking to show charity to one another, specifically as we're trying to build one another up. And that's the aim. What is our heart? Is our heart is our heart then when whatever gifts God has given us, are we, are we striving to be a blessing to one another? Or are we striving to love one another? Are we striving to build one another up according to God's word? So, something to think about. <laughs> but let me offer just one observation as well for us <coughs> as we think through this. As you read through scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, systematically, if we're looking at this, one thing that you'll notice reading through the Bible there's a concentration of miraculous events that usually mark off really key events in the history of God's people. This is something that we notice as we're reading through. So for example, we just preached the book of Exodus, right? We got the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, water gushing from the rock, uh, manna falling from heaven, the, the mountains on fire but not burning up, right? Other miracles as well as they go into the promised land and God gives victory to that next generation, then as we're reading the story after that, there aren't many miracles to speak of that normatively happen, right? At, at other times, when the law is given, when prophets declare a word from God, right, during the exile or some key event in the storyline of Scripture, such as there are signs that, that seem to both confirm and establish God's relationship with his people, right? Think about the ministry of Elijah and Elisha, for example. And then as we read through the New Testament, we, we see the same kind of thing happening. Right, so think about the Gospels. There's, there's 400 years of just kind of silence. <laughs> and then in the Gospels, boom, the coming of Jesus. Or in Acts chapter 2, marking off the beginning of the church, we see this outpouring of the Spirit. We see these, these miraculous events happening. There's this surge in miraculous events in the life of Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 2. It's interesting, too, even at the, the beginning of, of, of Jesus' life, you have like maybe... 28, 29 years, and then and then we have another little surge in miraculous events happening. Peter also notes in this this happening in Acts chapter 2, 22, he talks about Paul and Barnabas's, uh, Barnabas's, Barnabas's, what a weird word, uh, Barnabas's uh, ministry uh, being confirmed by miracles. Uh, we see that in Acts chapter 14, 3. And then Paul's experience in Ephesus in Acts 19, it's marked by extraordinary miracles. And even later in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Pete, uh, Paul argues that the mark of the New Testament apostle is confirmed by signs, wonders, and mighty works. Right? So all this kind of makes sense because the New Testament was being written and gospel message is being confirmed. And then once this foundation was laid, interestingly enough, signs are not mentioned as frequently. For example, we don't see them mentioned at all in the pastoral epistles, which, which is just interesting to note. Now, does that mean that God cannot work in miraculous ways today? Certainly not. <laughs> Certainly not. In fact, I tell people all the time that it is a miracle that our church exists. I, I think it is a legitimate miracle. And it's a legitimate miracle. The Vatican won't the Vatican won't confirm this as a miracle, but it is a legitimate miracle that I never went to jail during those crazy COVID times. Right? Like it's crazy that God blinded the eyes of all the neighbors around Willow Lake when we were gathering without requiring like QR codes or anything like that because we didn't want to refuse anyone access to the gospel or make unnecessary divisions among the people. Not only that, I, I was I was listening to a pastor uh, earlier today. I was listening to R.C. Sproul. 
uh, and he was talking about how miraculous salvation itself is and, and how it's so interesting that in our world today, we have such this overemphasis on physicality of miracles when, when the greatest miracle that we see in the life of Jesus is, is that he can forgive sins. The greatest miracle is that the, the apostles, their, their names are written in the book of life. That's what they should rejoice over. The greatest miracle is that a dead heart is made alive by grace and through faith as God works in us. So, so God, God, God does work all the time in miraculous ways in our hearts, but also all around us. God, God works mighty miracles even when we might not necessarily classify as something as a miracle because it might even go unseen. Not that we pray for miracles. One of our first responses is as we, we hear of something tragic happening is, God, please move. God, please heal. God, please save. God, please give life to this. This is, this is what our prayer, prayer is as, as Christians. And, and we know that God is working in a million unseen little miracles all the time, in our lives and in our everyday experiences. And sometimes we see that practically just in front of us, as God does take away people's cancer from time to time. Just left, like, what happened? It's a miracle of God, and praise God for that. Now, does that mean that he must do so, or that he has to do so? Certainly not. He doesn't have to. But... He likes to. He loves to. He doesn't always do so, but he's a good father. We should we should continue to pray to God for miracles, and, and we should do so by faith, as we are encouraged to do so in the book of James. We ought to ask God to heal those around us who are suffering, those with cancer or other medical issues or accidents. Yes and amen. In fact, the response from us as Christians when we hear things that need intercession is to pray for them immediately asking God to intervene because he loves to do so in response to our prayers. In regards to spiritual life, this is our constant aim in prayer, that God might give life to those who are spiritually dead, that he might make himself known by the powerful working of God the Spirit in their lives. And in all these things, we trust that God can and will do as he sees fit. And we shouldn't assume that God's ways are always our ways, or that God has to reveal himself through miracles. Rather, the normative way that God works is through his spirit, by his word, and he's at work all around us, working in miraculous ways, whether or not we might naturally notice it or not. So thanks again for joining us this week in this discussion. In next week's episode, we will turn our attention in our systematic study towards God's plan of redemption, surveying how God has worked from eternity past and is working into eternity future to reconcile us to himself through the atoning work of Christ. We also want to thank the wonderful folks at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. today, as a lot of the bones and meat of this discussion was provided in their core seminar class. And we're really thankful for their investment into our church as we seek to be a healthy church that plants healthy churches. And we know that this starts with healthy disciples who have a firm grasp on the truths taught in God's Word. So thanks again for joining us in this episode of Base Camp, the training ministry of the Trails Church, as we seek to make disciples who make disciples for the glory of God.